2.6 million years ago, during the Pleistocene epoch, the saber-toothed and woolly mammoth roamed across the North Pole. And so did another prehistoric creature. It was this colossal, horned, barrel-shaped, shaggy-haired animal, weighing up to 1,000 pounds. But unlike the saber-tooth and the woolly mammoth, this handsome beast is still very much alive. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're taking you to the musk ox farm in Palmer, Alaska. It's where a huge group of musk ox now live pretty comfortably. In exchange for their room and board, they offer up some of the finest wool in the world. So to start, we should set the record straight. The name musk ox is really misleading. So musk oxen, total misnomer, have no musk, are not ox. That's Mark Austin. He's the executive director of the Musk Ox Farm. It's the nonprofit that these musk ox live at, and it's one of the few places in the world attempting to raise domesticated musk ox. And the animals got their name because they do look a bit like oxen, but in reality, they're not related to oxen at all. They're closer to sort of gigantic mountain goats or enormous sheep. The farm currently has a herd of about 80 musk ox, which they raise for their fancy wool called kiviot. And the process of domesticating one of the world's few remaining Ice Age megafauna, this animal that is both very, very big and very, very strong, isn't easy. You know, for an animal to go from wild to floppy ears and spots, hallmarks of domestication, could take hundreds and hundreds of years. So um, we don't fool ourselves into thinking that this is going to happen anytime overnight. So we, we acknowledge that we are in process, and that is our mission as stated coming from the beginning, and that's, what we can, that's why we continue the work we do today. Mark says it took thousands of years for cows to become truly domesticated. So the musk ox is at the start of a long journey. But because its wool is so valuable, the farm's founder had this idea that musk ox might eventually be a good way for rural Alaskan families to help support themselves. People living in these coastal areas, rich in culture, abundance of food, but the world was changing and that there was a need to bring in cash dollars that were not abundant in the far north. So how do you go about domesticating a thousand pound musk ox? You start when they're much, much smaller. So when they are born um, in the first 12 hours, 24 hours, we, we do very little to interact. We will um, vaccinate as they're born. We will then move them from a pen where they were born into kind of a maternity pen. Our farm staff will be then in there from the very beginning. They'll be, um, you know, just cleaning up, picking up poop after them. So there's a, there's a general presence um, of just having farm staff around them. They also give all of the muskox individual names. And each year, there's a theme. We've got cayenne, pepper, ginger, sage, poppy, rue, paprika, and that's it for Spice Girls. The farm also has muskox named for Iditarod checkpoints, for national parks, for trees, for gemstones. You get the idea. 
Mark says each muskox also has its own personality. It'd be like going out on the playground and saying, what's it like to hang out with Billy or what's it like to hang out with Bobby? And, you know, they're all going to be different. There's, there's some that are incredibly friendly and curious. There's some that are just as soon be left alone. And then, of course, there are the troublemakers. I came back from an airport run a couple years ago, and there was, I, I pulled into the, the parking lot here, and I saw eyes reflecting on the top of a hill and somewhere they should never have been. And so one of them had found a way to get up over a fence and go on walkabout. And she she lured about four of her, five of her friends to go with her. And as soon as I came back, it's like, Dad's home, get back! So they'll do that. They'll they'll climb fences. They'll, uh, you know, just like stand up. They'll, you know, they're, they're constantly running and playing with, you know, hitting. We've got balls, all kinds of enrichment things out there for to play with. Part of the reason the farm staff works so hard to get the animals familiar with them is so that when it comes time to harvest their wool, the muskox are used to being around people and being handled by them. And the muskox naturally shed their wool, their kiviot, uh, each year. And that means that unlike sheep, they don't need to be sheared. If left alone, it'll just fall off. So in the spring, you, you'll you start noticing it, you know, either maybe a little patch will start to rise to the surface of the guard here. That's when the farm staff brings the muskox into the barn, plies them with their barley and corn treats, and starts brushing. And what we've found um, best is a uh, steel-toothed um, hair pick, afro pick. It allows us to kind of penetrate below the, the guard hair, which is always going to stay on, get underneath that cuvette layer that's starting to um, shed naturally, and you just kind of get underneath it. You start working it up, and well, you can get an entire sheet of this off uh, a muskox when you're when it's really releasing really nicely. And the kiviat is valuable stuff. It's not quite worth its weight in gold, but it's worth a fair bit. And an average adult muskox might produce somewhere around four pounds of kiviat each season. And we lose about 50% in processing. So that gets you at about $6,400 per animal if you turn it all into garments and we're able to sell all those. Even so, the farm doesn't actually cover the cost of caring for all the animals. If, if we were not a nonprofit, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. It's expensive. If we didn't have education, if we didn't have retail, if we didn't have donors, um, we wouldn't be operating. You can visit the Muskox Farm. Like Mark mentioned, there is a whole educational program. There are tours. And of course, there is a gift shop where you can go and get your own Kiviet musk ox hair sweater. What could be a more fashion forward move for this winter? Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Baudelaire Seuss. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall, and I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. 
Witness Docs from Stitcher.